I was struggling on how to order this, and I think I'm going to actually, before you get tainted by reading the text, start with my introductory uh, thoughts. And I also, I, I couldn't come up with one solid thing, so I'm going to kind of throw them into a blender and, and see how they come out. But let's just imagine we've been given an opportunity. Uh, we can start a whole new television uh, channel or, or maybe a podcast. Or again, another option I thought out there is, you know, we're in charge of picking the next presidential candidate that we want. In short, imagine that there's a message that you want to go forth to reach as many people as possible, and you will have a venue through which you can express that message. Who are you going to hire in order to spread that message? What kind of character traits are you going to be looking to put behind the camera, or I'm sorry, in front of the camera, in order to be your, your salesperson, to get this message that's going to go forth to as many people as possible? Let's come up with a, as many traits as we can of this person or these people that we want uh, giving us or, or, or helping us proclaim this, this message. Trustworthy, okay, we're starting with good ones, but yeah. So someone who at least comes off as trustworthy. Charismatic, and what do you mean by that, James? Okay, an outgoing, bubbly person. Stacy, that seems like you were going to say the same thing. Yeah, this, just someone who's dynamic and is going to draw other people toward them. What else? Yes, Corey. An honest person, okay, someone who's trustworthy and honest, um, at least that what they say is, is going to be believable. John? A wise decision maker. Okay, so there's a message that might be prepared, but maybe they've got to cover some things on the fly, and you want someone that's got wisdom and, and can make those decisions well. Corey? A persuasive, okay, yeah that they can be convincing in their arguments, that they can handle the, the accusations or challenges that are presented to them and respond quickly and with clarity so that they can persuade other people in their, their teachings or, or thoughts. Humble, okay. Yeah, who does so in a humble way, that it isn't about them, but it's about trying to encourage people. You've covered a lot of those. I, you know, threw some other ones in here. Uh, oftentimes, you know, if they've got some humor that they can mix in, that's really good. That makes them likable, charismatic. Uh, they're intelligent. Um, they're often someone that has some power, some, some gravitas to their character. Uh, oftentimes, we want attractive people um, who's attention-grabbing. And in certain circumstances, you want people that are going to check the right social boxes, that have the right character traits, or you know, maybe you want a female so they're more warm and welcoming, or a male who comes off as more strong and um, guided in some of those ways. All right. Now, those often will work well for television or podcasts or commercials. But what happens when you bring those goals into the church? It's a very similar question to what I asked in the opening sermon to this series. But, for example, when, uh, you know, the church, in order to try to gain attention, really has a goal to be charismatic. 
And so we're going to be flashy with our presentation. We're going to have the lighting all set up in just so, such a way so that uh, it's, it's going to compete with the voices of Disney or the news channels and, and be able to say, like, we've got something dynamic that's happening here. Or again, there's been churches that very intentionally try to have an attractive person up at front leading the whole worship service so that you know, people are drawn toward that person and to their personality and they are dynamic and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're big and bold in that. Or there are people that just love to argue, right? That if you oppose them in any way, shape, or form, they're going to put you in your place and they're going to tear you up and destroy anything that you say at them. And, and their arguments are so solid and they're very aggressive with those. Again, the fundamental question is, what happens when that comes into the church? And I'm sure if you're like me, you can think of all kinds of scenarios where sometimes those things draw a lot of attention, but then often they explode. They become train wrecks, or, or they can't compete, and the things fall apart, and the message is all lost. And I bring all of that up to kind of get us thinking where we are. So we just a few weeks ago began a new sermon series where we're going to walk through the book of 1 Corinthians. We started the first week just kind of with the general background, but with that recognition of that call to, to strive toward being saints. And then last week, we saw how Paul right away identified one of the many issues going on in the church that he was going to see, and that was divisions caused by personalities. Some wanting to follow Paul, some wanting to follow uh, Peter or Cephas, as it says in the text. Others saying, well, I'm just a follower of Jesus. And how Paul right away is trying to say, those divisions are no good. That's where we're going to pick up this, morning, this evening. Uh, turn with me in your pew Bibles to page number 1,131. We're just going to be looking at verses 18 through 25 or focusing on those verses. I'm going to back up to verse 17 and just reread that one because that's a very transitional uh, verse uh, to introduce where we're at. So again, we're on page 1,131, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, we'll start in verse 17 and then read through 25. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both 
Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we start at verse 17, the reason why I reread that is he's talking about what his preaching and his focus is. It is the cross of Christ, the, the presentation of the gospel. And he's going to explain that all the way through chapter 2, verse 5. But he starts with the fundamental issue in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And notice right away, there's really only two categories. There are those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And in those two groups, they are going to view the cross in completely different ways. So let's start, and as he elucidates, as we see, he lays out, Two groups in particular he identifies as responding, Greeks, I'm sorry, Jews, and then Greeks and Gentiles, those are parallel terms. But when Jews were looking for a Messiah, they were actively thinking, okay, there's someone who's supposed to come, and they were looking at Old Testament prophecies. When we read in Scripture and see things, what does it appear they were looking for when they were anticipating a Messiah. Okay, so in particular, when Jesus did show up, they were under the, the oppression of the Roman Empire, and they wanted someone who was going to be a rebel, a rebel leader, who was going to stand up and, and uh, allow them to overthrow that oppressive rule and be free from it once again. And so, yes, they wanted someone to overthrow the greater political authorities most likely with the sword. Raise up an army, fight the Romans, defeat them. What else were they looking for? A king. And what, a king like, like David. David who expanded the territory of Israel, who was wise, who defeated enemies, again, taking up the sword and ruled well. They were looking for someone who was going to sit on the throne and be a political leader in many ways. Anything else? And I agree with you. These are a lot of the things that that's what... Oh, the one other thing that I had is, is someone who was going to come and, and demonstrate themselves through many signs and wonders proving that they were Messiah by doing the unimaginable, again, most likely the unimaginable in defeating the Roman Empire uh, in all of their strength and might. Now, obviously, the other group, the Gentiles, they're not really looking for a person. But again, in their culture, in the culture of the Corinthians, if there was going to be someone that was going to change the world, what kind of person do you think they would be looking for. It's the kind of person we had mentioned earlier, but go ahead, Don. Yeah, someone with great wisdom. Uh, someone who's rub elbows with, elbows with the political leaders and uh, someone who was, uh, again, a, a mighty conqueror, uh, someone who was going to be a figurehead that they could literally, as they often did, worship 
who was influential, powerful, and wealthy. None of that describes Jesus. In fact, when we look at the character of Jesus, what did they get instead? A sacrificial lamb. Yeah, so instead of raising up arms in battle against others, he allowed himself to be killed by the political leaders. What else? Humble and lowly. Yeah, instead of rubbing elbows and and facilitating relationships with the powerful and the influential, oftentimes he criticized them. And whenever he was encouraged to be elevated to those positions, which he was, he would step back, withdraw. He didn't want those things. He was humble and lowly. What else? Yeah, he loved all people. So again, instead of saying like, well, I just hang around with, you know, the good, the influential, the wealthy, he actually ate with sinners, with people who would actually dishonor his reputation and his name in some ways. Rather than being wealthy, he was clearly poor, born to a young woman and a humble worker. What is more, not just his character, but when you look at the cross in particular, his sacrifice, how do the Jews look at someone who died on a cross? Is that abhorrent? Exactly. Uh, It's quoted in Deuteronomy that a man who has committed a crime, punished by death, and he is put to death and is hung on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. That text is quoted in the New Testament as referring to Jesus. It was. It was abhorrent. The idea that someone would be killed on the cross, that was a curse. And so, that was, as the text says, a stumbling block to many. How does someone who's going to change the world die on a cross? Let's ask the same question of of the Greeks, the Gentiles. How did they view the cross? A joke in many ways, yeah. This was, and why was it a joke? What was the cross used for? I think I heard someone. Yeah, punishment. Capital punishment for the worst of criminals. Uh, The same people that were subject to firing squads, hangings, death by the gallows, and today uh, the electric chair or lethal injection. These are the worst of the worst criminals that we want to make an example of publicly, and so we put them on a cross in order to teach everyone else, don't be like that person. And yet... Here come these Christians, and they say, that's the man who's changing the world. One commentator uh, suggested that when we are always around Christians and in the church folk, we can sometimes become numb 
to just how ridiculous the elements of the gospel message really are and how they can sound in the ears and minds of someone who's not familiar with them. Furthermore, and finally in the text, how is this incredible message of who this Jesus was being distributed around? If you take a peek at verse 17 and, and 21... Yeah, not eloquently. But the the way this message goes forth is through preaching. The preaching of ordinary people telling the story over and over again. Not with flashy reports, not with eloquent wisdom, not standing, you know, in in the, the, well, at times standing in the centers of society, but more importantly, just through the work of a humble servant like Paul who did not consider himself to be one of the great speakers of the day. And back then, that was a popular thing, to have great speakers that would go around and share their wisdom and awe people with their rhetorical skills. So that's the side of those who are perishing, who just see in this story of a poor man who just didn't engage in anything great and eventually was killed on a a cross. That just sounds like folly to them. But the other group of people are those being saved, as it says in verse 18, or those who believe, or in verse 24, those who are called which just let me highlight that important phrase, those who are called and how it fits with the message we heard this morning. But how do they see the cross, according to the text? Yeah, the power of God. And the wisdom of God. The world was changed through Jesus, undeniably. And even secular folks will be able to look at history and identify the incredible impact that this one man has had on all of history. And yet, did he come with power and strength, with weapons of war? Was he the one who strove to get the attention of people in ways that the world would often think? No. He served. He loved. He sacrificed. And that was how he changed the world. The issue is that oftentimes we like to create gods in our own image. And so we want a God who's going to act like society acts and look like us and love the things that we love. And when we do that, we create these false ideas of what God should be and is. But when God showed up in the flesh, he was very different from the wisdom of the world. And yet in being different, we recognize the power of God and the wisdom of God. How do we see that? What's the proof of all of that? That's where we're going to go in the next couple of messages, how Jesus changed the world. But let me just kind of end with a couple of applications and implications from this text for us. First of all, I think this text has some important implications and application in our evangelism. 
Uh, when we interact with people, we have to remember the perspective of those who haven't heard this story over and over again and just how foolish it sounds. How odd it will sound in their ears that, wait a minute, in order for you to be saved, God became a man and died on a cross and then rose from the grave? Like a dead man came back to life. You actually believe that? You say, yeah, we do. But in that sounding odd, we have to recognize, as the text says, that most will reject it because... It comes off as just nonsense. Uh, to them, this is just folly. They don't need that kind of a God. They can do things on their own. But for us who are called to present that message, may it be an encouraging reminder. It's not about how eloquent you are. It's not how appealing you can make that message, how humorous you can be, how uh, attractive or appealing you can create a scenario for them. It's about the message itself. That's where the power is. And so in who you are, preach the gospel. And let the gospel change people's lives instead of trying to change it through appealing and attractive ways. And then just an encouragement to remember as we'll continue to look through this, the, just the wisdom of God and the power of the cross. Again, if Jesus changed the world through love, service, and humble actions, then maybe that's how we should be trying to change and impact our world. Our world, again, has those same voices. Be flashy, be attractive, shut down those arguments, you know, get on Facebook and make sure people know that you're right. But maybe if we just loved and served and walked with people like Christ did, then we can change our worlds as well. Well, with that in mind, let's bow our heads. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do proclaim with Scripture that your wisdom is, your folly is, is beyond all the wisdom of humanity, and that your weakness is stronger than anything we can consider. And we thank you for the message of the cross. That though that has been a stumbling block and a difficulty for so many to even understand, we recognize your wisdom in it. Lord, thank you for what Christ was and what he did for us. And in we responding to that and hearing that good news, may our lives be in service and modeled after his example rather than trying to be in the wisdom of this world. May we serve you as we were served by you. And may we love others in the way that you have loved us. Lord, open our eyes to the opportunities to do that in this coming week, wherever we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.